The Classical Association presents Epic, Modern Writers, Ancient Stories, an audiobook of short stories written by entrants in the 2022 CA competition, who were inspired by Stephen Fry's trilogy, Mythos, Heroes and Troy. We're releasing one story a day for the next six weeks, so make sure you subscribe and follow the Classics Podcast and follow us on Instagram at the Classical Pod so you don't miss out on a single story in our audiobook. Relax, enjoy, and lose yourself in the world of ancient mythology. Olos by Sung Ahan, read by Caroline Bristow. A great fleet of triremes float in the harbour of Aulus, their sails unmoving in the absence of wind. Men swarm the town restlessly, shouting and arguing. Some are already drunk, although the sun has only just set, evident by their red faces and ungainly stumbling. As they push and shove their way into the few taverns that still have room for more customers, the men do not notice three hunched figures shrouded in black cloth. Their countenance hidden, they watch the various Achaean soldiers, mostly from Sparta and Thebes, though they recognise some others, like the towering stature of Ajax of Salamis, or the cunning warrior Diomedes of Argos. But only one man catches their attention, and as he walks by with a slightly older man, deep in conversation, the three figures glance at each other from under their hoods, knowingly, and begin to hobble after them. Each holds a staff, in unison they strike the cobble with each step, as if to invoke the gods. No one pays mind to the three old crones who shuffle into the tavern, inconspicuous amongst the jostling men who fight for the last drop of wine or the best chunk of mouldering bread. They only watch as the man they followed sits down in a secluded corner, pulling his companion to sit next to him with a fond look in his eyes. The stone hearth in the middle of the tavern crackles, warding away the winter cold and drawing their attention onto the bard by the fire, who is telling a story. And with a valiant effort, the noble Perseus sliced off the Gorgon's head and it fell to the ground, the snakes of her hair hissing in fury. The bard uses his hands animatedly to reenact the tale. And from her neck sprang two beings, a man with a golden sword known as Chrysaor, and, he pauses for dramatic effect, much to the bored groans of the soldiers, the divine winged horse, Pega, don't you have any other story? This shout from one of the customers is followed by grunts of agreement, punctuated by the slamming of cups on the wooden tables. We have heard the tale of Perseus and his oh-so-good deeds too many times. Another man joins in. If you have no decent story left in that cowardly head of yours, be of some use. Perhaps we should give you over to Agamemnon and he can sacrifice you instead of his precious daughter to appease Lady Artemis. Then we shall finally be out of this wretched town and on our way to Troy. The bard shrinks in on himself, bellows of laughter rising in the crowd. Alas, although amusing, it is not this man's time to join Hades in the underworld. The tavern grows silent at the rasping voice, and all men turn to stare at the three figures in the shadows. Before any of them can voice their objection, the three speak again in unison, their hoarse voices sending chills down the men's spines. We shall tell you men a story. They limp out of the darkness, the clatter of their staffs echoing in the silence. 
not a tale of oh-so-good deeds. The three crones approached the hearth, and the bard scrambled out of their way in fear. But a tragedy that befell upon one hero. At once the fire in the braziers around the tavern are extinguished. But the murmurs of panic are soon drowned out by the exclamations of horror. Before the men's very eyes, the great blaze of the hearth flares violently. Now green tongues of flame licking hungrily at the stones like a wild beast. Shadows around the room writhe and twist in a grotesquerie of shapes, coiling around the three figures like serpentine monsters. They turn to face their audience, and their eyes glint ominously in the flickering light. Let us begin. There was once a warrior, the greatest of all the Greek heroes, quick-footed and valiant, slayer of hundreds. You will, no doubt have heard of him. He was seemingly invulnerable, his prowess so great that no weapon dared to shed the blood of this legendary warrior. Yet he was also the hero of grief, a reminder of the many losses he suffered, one of those being his cherished lover by his enemy's hands. These events unfolded in a war, one of thousands upon thousands of deaths. And though the warrior wanted to withdraw from the seemingly endless bloodshed, his lover convinced him otherwise. He allowed them to wear his honourable armour and lead the Greek forces into battle. And so, impersonating the warrior, the lover killed many of the enemy in his stead in a brave effort to drive them back to their ships. But they got carried away in their lust for violence. Some even say that the gods removed their wits. Whatever the cause, the lover lost their life in war. With just one stab in the stomach, they were torn away from the hero and into the hands of death. The hero's broken heart filled with an enraged desire for vengeance. He could not wear his own armour, for it had been stolen by the killer. But the gods took pity on him and gifted him not only a new set, but also a shield. And this shield was a work of art. It depicted the universe in its embossing, the heavens, the land and the sea, the sun, the moon and the stars, conflict and discord alongside peace and harmony, a shield worthy of his revenge. Wielding this great shield, the hero sought out his lover's murderer. He was so angered that Zeus himself had to send down the gods to restrain him. The warrior chased the killer three times around the city of war before the latter decided to gather up the courage to fight the legendary hero. It was a futile effort. The hero's wrath, his rage and the heartbreak that the killer had caused drove him to kill ruthlessly. And he dragged the bloody corpse in the dirt afterwards. But the fates were not on his side. And the hero's death was later brought about by the arrow of the killer's cowardly brother. It pierced his flesh and his thread of life snapped. At last, he was reunited with his lover in the underworld. In both life and death, their threads of life were intertwined. When one snapped, the other frayed, soon breaking too. The moon to his son. The stars watched over them both.
The three crowns hold up a string, winding it around their bony fingers and tracing the outline of their gnarled hands. They smile, a frightening twist of their lips that reveals their crooked teeth like jagged flints set in their sickly gums. When the men look closer at the string, they see that it is, in fact, two threads twisted together in a silvery coil. A sharp twinge of dread stirs inside of them. As they watch the middle figure bringing out cutting shears, the men hold their breath, looking on in apprehension when the crone bears the glinting blade to the delicate thread. The three laugh, a cruel cackling that echoes throughout the silent room, save for the sharp crackle of the fire behind them. Illuminated by the green flame, their silhouettes are undiscernible. They merge to form a huge monster. They wave their spindly fingers in the air like the claws of a beast, and the fire seems to grow bigger, smoking cinders raining down upon the men, much to their fear. The tavern is unbearably hot now, but the men dare not move, frozen in place by the unnatural happenings in front of them. The shadows flout the light and gather closer and closer to the crones, swathing them in darkness that grows and expands and they disappear. From the murky depths of the sea, a nymph slips out from the water. Thetis is her name. Under the guise of mortal woman, she silently walks to the nearest tavern, but does not enter. Standing by the window, she looks in through a crack in the shutters and her lips twitch into a sad smile. Though she has done her best to warn him, Thetis fears for her heroic son and his lover, who will soon be wrenched away from him. Patroclus, stop drinking my wine, give it back! She startles at the sudden shout that comes from inside the tavern. Looking in again, she sees her son, wrapping his arms around his companion, a smile on his face, his eyes crinkled with laughter as he snatches back the cup. Thetis lets out a shaky breath, watching the white puff dissipate into the air. She looks up at the stars. Achilles would be fine, she tells herself. After all, he and Patroclus are together. <laughs>